everyone. Thank you for joining us on another exciting episode of Feisty Founders. Today, we have the wonderful Sarah Graysdorf as a guest star on our show. Sarah is the CEO and founder of Holdet, which designs professional workwear with real pockets for women. Without further ado, let's give a warm welcome to our Feisty Founder, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Feisty Founders podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. To start, I'd love if you could just tell us a little bit about your company. I would love to. So my company is Holdette. We are building the next generation of women's workwear for the next generation of women entering the workforce. So um, we're starting by producing um, professional workwear that has real pockets. That's you know, the first issue that we're tackling, this issue where, you know, mm. women's pockets are 48% shorter than men's pockets and we can't hold anything. So that's really where we're pretty starting. Pretty much useless, wanting- right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty much useless. Um, that's, you know, forcing us to carry purses all the time, which I, I can not tell you the number of men who are like, don't women just love carrying purses? No. Um, so that's where we're starting. But for us, it's, it's really so much more than that. We say as a company, it's our mission to support women from the moment they get dressed. And so we want to start with the clothing. We want to be there when they get dressed, but we want to be there for all the moments after that as well. So we run a community as well called Back Pocket for college age and recent grad women, where we support through workshops and mentorship and industry-focused cohorts and a book club and a whole lot of other programming to help ease that transition into adulthood. Wow. Good for you. That's so amazing. I think that community building is one of the best ways to be able to kind of launch a business. And so let's just rewind a little bit. Tell me a little bit about the story. Clearly you have an issue with pants that have no pockets, which I totally Mm -hmm. get, but what really sort of sparked the desire to launch a company and then assuming to design a suit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely was a long journey. So started my senior year of high school, I was taking a shower because that's where I have all my best thoughts. And I, you know, was taking a shower one day and I realized that every time I left the house, I had to carry my phone and my keys and my wallet in my hands or in a purse. And none Mm -hmm. of my male friends ever had to do that. And I was like, why is that? And I realized it was because they always had pockets to carry their belongings and I never did. And so decided I wanted to do something about it. I was in high school, basically had no entrepreneurial resources available to me, didn't know the first thing um, really about starting a company. I, I, that being said, I had had a lot of ideas when I was younger and I'd you know, done lemonade stands and sold jewelry and sold baked goods to my classmates, but didn't know what it took to like really start a business. So was going to college that fall, started at Boston University. I was studying computer science and started talking to all my female friends about the idea and they were like yes I experience this problem every single day you have to do something about it and I you know utilizing the technical degree that I was getting I started brainstorming ways that I could solve an otherwise physical problem with a technical solution and so what that looked like at the beginning was aggregating clothes with pockets into a newsletter Um, so I would do pants with pockets or dresses with pockets and basically getting anybody I could to subscribe to that newsletter Love it. And I would send that out every week and then um, basically eventually took what we're doing in the newsletter, built it onto a website. I was using affiliate marketing. So I made like two pennies every time somebody clicked on something, um, <laughs> which is, you know, a great project, but it wasn't necessarily a good business. So basically spent my sophomore year of college trying to figure out how I could solve this problem, which I loved with um, a solution that I had yet to, to fall in love with. And so fast forward to that May, I was um, 
doing a pitch competition. It's called Dolphin Tanks. It's like Shark Tank, but they're supposed to be nice to you. And um, I was able to have an ask for the judges. And so at that time, the iteration of the company was that I was going to aggregate clothes from independent designers who are making clothes with pockets and kind of like an Etsy, but for clothes with pockets. And so uh, my ask for the judges was whether or not it made sense to manufacture the clothes ourselves or to let each of the designers manufacture them and then we just aggregate. And they said that we should manufacture ourselves because it was just one supply chain to look after. And so mm-hmm. I thought that was great, but I walked away from that event basically being like, well, if I'm going to manufacture myself, I might as well design myself. And at that point, I might as well just launch my own clothing line. So that was about 18 wow. months ago. Turns out launching a clothing line is difficult, but um, <laughs> definitely learned, a, I've been learning so, so much and, and learned something new every day. And, and I'm grateful for the path I've gone down, even though um, it's nothing like what I studied and, and what I thought I would be doing right now. Wow. Good for you. And so in terms of the actual, I mean, you're launching your own clothing line. Have you been doing all of the designs yourself or have you been working with sort of clothing designers? Mm-hmm. So getting started, I worked with a fashion professor from the Rhode Island School of Design who basically helped me take what was in my head and, and what I was thinking and convert that into first designs. Um, but I definitely was like creative direction. Like this is no, I don't like this here and, and let's change that. Um, so I would say like, I people help me execute along the way and then in April we brought finally after like running this like fashion-based company for two years I um, brought on a designer her name's Cameron so she's basically working on all of our future designs um, and has been helpful in kind of making decisions as we've gotten into the sampling for the suit Um, but she's basically guiding all of our fashion designs now um, even though I was kind of drove the the design for this for the first two pieces which are is a suit a blazer and pants that we're starting with wow okay so you've definitely had to do some learning and you've had to kind of reach Mm -hmm. out into your network quite a bit or expand and build upon your network in order to make this possible in terms of that sort of network element you know you said you worked with a design professor how did you go about actually reaching out to these people and getting them to kind of join you on your team Mm -hmm. yeah it's been such a interesting journey and a lot of it to be honest has been sending cold emails or trying to get a warm intro when I can find one so that fashion professor I was connected with someone who I was talking about my idea with and he was like oh I I know someone at RISD who who maybe could help you and you know if I hadn't had the confidence and that that was like two weeks after I decided to launch a clothing line I immediately (laughs) started telling everyone that I was launching a clothing line even though I was nowhere close to doing so but I basically started telling everyone that I was doing that and so this um uh you know friend that I that I had was like oh I happen to know this professor you should reach out to him so I did I ended up working with him um but that was kind of a random you know luck thing that that I you know was able to to be connected with him. I think for finding my team, it's I found them a variety of places um, through networking communities, through LinkedIn, through AngelList, through just sending like emails through Boston University's like college-based newsletters. And then for finding a lot of of our other partners, it's and mentors. It's been a lot of cold outreach and having the confidence to be like, I need help. And I think that you'd be a great person to help me if you'd be willing. And, you know, I, I coined a term recently, which I, I'll, I'll mention now. I'm hoping it, you know, gets into more founders' um, vocabulary. But I call it the Phineas and Ferb effect. 
Um, I don't know if you ever watched Phineas and Ferb, but I used to love that show. show <laughs> right? Okay. So on that show, Phineas and Ferb would like build something crazy, like a roller coaster or a machine that could talk to animals. And the people that would come and deliver all of these tools would be like, oh, aren't you a little bit young to be doing this? And they're like, yes, yes, we are. And to, you know, to be honest, upfront, I'm 21, right? So I, I'm doing all of these things and I feel like I'm that own voice in my head. Like, aren't you a little bit younger to be doing this? But I like walk into every situation with this like confidence of someone who's probably been in the industry much longer. And I'm like, okay, so now what I need to do is figure out how to ship things from China to the United States, or I need to source fabric from Turkey, or I, you know, need to go to this trade show, or I need all of these things. And so it's like, really just comes down to like having the confidence to say like, um, this is what I'm building. And, and now I need your help in, in going and doing it. And I found that, you know, when Phineas and Ferb had the confidence to go and say that they were new, I found if I walk in with confidence and I'm, you know, able to afford and pay for all the things I need to pay for that people don't really bat an eye anymore. So um, it's definitely been a journey to get to that point of having that own confidence in myself. But um once you decide you're going to do something, there's, you know, most people just kind of like clear the way and, and let it happen is what I've found. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. I mean, from the sounds of it, you're obviously very young and yet very confident. Do you feel that that confidence is something that you've always possessed or do you feel like it's something you've sort of stepped into on this entrepreneurial journey? I think both. I think I've had a lot of personal confidence, but I don't think that's the same thing as having business like CEO confidence I went to an all-girls middle school and high school which I mean you don't leave there without you know breathing like female empowerment um and so I think and especially like going from there to then studying computer science which is so male dominated I mean I never really like had any hesitancy to raise my hand in the classroom or reach out and get the help I needed or like speak up and, and say if I thought what the answer was because, you know, I had this background where I wasn't competing with boys in a classroom or anything like that in high school. And so I, I didn't feel the need to do that in college. I just, you know, spoke my mind. And so I think I developed a lot of confidence. I think running your business and having the confidence to like believe in your idea and, um, you know, convince mentors and friends and potential investors that your idea is worth them also investing in whether that's their time or their money or otherwise is basically a completely different thing and and i think i've had to learn that and i think i'm still learning that um i think i felt a lot of um like inadequacy being so young um feeling like oh you know there's often this question like why are you the most qualified person to start your business and i'm like i don't know like i'm so young like i've never worked in fashion before all this stuff but Mm. the more i've like become comfortable with where i see my business going and and realizing that like i've done all this stuff with the business so far so why would going into the future be any different and especially when i realized like the person that i'm targeting right as my like target customer is literally a person who's graduating college and entering the workforce. Who am I? A person that's graduating college and entering the workforce. Like I know my customer better than anybody else because I literally am her. So when I'm like trying to decide if we should make a TikTok or like what our caption should be on Instagram, I'm like what's something that I would like think was like witty or funny or find helpful. And then I'm like, okay, that's the content we're going to make because I would like it. And so I know that my target customer would like it. So um, I think the more I've settled into that and, and understood that, the more comfortable I felt trying to convince others my idea is, is worth them backing as well. Yeah, wow, that's pretty incredible. I, I really resonated with that. Um, 
you know, why are you the most qualified person? And I think for any <laughs> younger founder, there is a sort of this, well, you know, I don't know. I just am really mm-hmm. trying and I'm kind of going for it and let's see how it goes. With that mm-hmm. said, it also sounds like, and you mentioned something earlier about like, okay, now I'm going to try and figure out how to do shipping. Do you feel that you're sort of taking it one step at a time? And how do you not get overwhelmed by the amount of things that you have to do as a founder? <laughs> well, I absolutely do get overwhelmed, um, to be honest. But I think it's learning how to like cope with that being overwhelmed and, and realizing that there's always more to get done and then setting boundaries so that you're not, you know, like channeling that overwhelming feeling into your work, right? Because I think you can feel anxiety about everything you need to do, but you need to like put that aside and, and realize like, how do I prioritize? Um, there, you know, every single day I'm doing something I've basically never had to do before. And I'm like learning and then immediately having to implement it. And I think that's like what makes the job so exciting is like this constant feeling that's like, I'm never going to be done learning. I just love that feeling so, so much. And I don't think you could be an entrepreneur without loving that feeling because that's basically the job description. Um, And I think I've just had to learn how to organize my time and bring on team members that are filling roles that I can't otherwise do um, so that we can collectively move forward as a company and ask for help when I need it and encourage them to ask for help when they need it. And together we just kind of get through it. But Uh, you know, there's always more to do. And I think you just, as a founder, have to figure out, you know, what am I going to get done today? And and what can wait till tomorrow? And basically do that same exercise every day. Yeah, no kidding. And so let's just back up for a second. You are still a university student. Is that correct? I actually graduated in May. I graduated a year early. So the the story timeline always doesn't really make a little bit of sense because there's like a year missing. But um, yeah, I, I just graduated. So you simultaneously then took extra courses at your undergraduate career so that you could graduate early and you're launching and starting a company. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> and what was that like? Was it, you know, very stressful? Were you incredibly busy? Did you have time to sort of enjoy school and academia or was it just all about your company? How did you really kind of balance the two? Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a lot. It- in the sense that like there was always like more work to get done right so my like last fall that my like last fall in college i was taking 22 credits whereas at bu you normally take 16. so i was taking five and a half classes and and my extra half was like a directed study so here's what i basically did to make it work was like my directed study was working with someone at our innovation center on campus and i basically just worked on hold that so i was getting credit for working on my company and then whenever i could i would channel the work that mm. i was doing in for the company. So last spring, I took a class called Financing New Ventures, where we talked about creating like balance sheets and income statements and P&Ls and stuff like that. And, and we were, we had to pick a company to work on. So I made my group just like work on hold that. So by the end of the semester, I had financial statements for my company, (laughs) uh, which I got for free because the whole group worked on it. So that was like one thing I did. The other thing I think you kind of have to decide as a student founder is when am I working on my company and when am I working on schoolwork and how much of a balance do I feel like I need to strike? I know some founders who are like, okay, between 12 and three on Tuesday, I'm working on my company. And then between like nine and 2 PM on Wednesday, I'm working on my company. I personally never took that strategy because I, I didn't find it effective for the kind of business that I was building. The, the work that I do is like half of the, honestly, half my job is like responding to emails or like sending out emails. And if I got an email back at like, 
you know, the, the hour after the time that I blocked out, I'm not going to just wait till the next day to respond to the email, right? Like it has to get done. So I tried yeah. to instead block school time out and say, okay, I'm going to work on homework for these three hours. And then I'm going to, you know, give myself the freedom to get to go and work on hold that stuff in my other time. So I, I tried to, yeah, block school more than I, than I blocked the company. Cause I just found that was so much more, um, like effective for, for getting both of them done schoolwork, like homework is not something that you perpetually have to do. You like get it done and then obviously get new homework next time you go to class. But, um, it's not like it's, it's not like getting an email and, or something like that. So that's kind of how I made it work. I would, I, you know, that being said, going from being a student founder, like in school to graduating, working on your company full time is completely different. And I do not feel like I was prepared at all, but like going from working on your company, like 10, 20 hours a week to like 60 hours a week, it's just very difficult. Um, and I've kind of had to learn how to do that and sustain myself and create balance in a way that, you know, I'm not going and working on school. I'm not going and hanging out with friends as much. I mean, we're also in the middle of a pandemic. So uh, there's not that built in sense of breaks and, and rest. So I've had to create that for myself now that hold that's my full-time job. Yeah. Wow. And so in terms of financing, you know, obviously you were kind of lucked out by having all of your classmates help you with all of this sort of initial <laughs> financial planning. Have you raised any capital or how are you sort of sustaining as a business? Mm -hmm. So we raised on iFund Women, um, which I think you might have as well. Yeah, um, awesome. Yeah, big fan, big fan. Um, so yeah, so we did a crowdfunding campaign back in May um, where we were able to raise enough to get our first production run off the ground, basically, and then cover some other like product development costs and, and packaging and initial marketing spend. We've been through two accelerators and a business plan competition through which we've got an additional capital and then occasional like there's stuff at BU where you can like occasionally get a check here and there. So overall, I think we raised like just, I mean, raised is like, I feel like such a loose term, but like acquired, like worked for, um, like I think like just over $60,000. Um, but are planning on going and doing a pre-seed raise in the new year to really kind of get off the ground and scale. Amazing. And in terms of your team, tell me just a little bit about it. I know you said you have a designer on your team. Do you have anyone else and, mm -hmm. and are you paying them or are they getting equity? How have you kind of sorted that out in the earlier stages? Yep. So there are five of us on the team, myself, our designer, Cameron, two people on our marketing team, Abby and Megan, and then Shay, who runs community and customer experience. So driving a lot of that back pocket community initiatives that I was talking about, as well as, you know, communicating with customers. So uh, right now, everybody is basically just volunteering their time, including myself. Um, yep. The plan is basically like post-raise, then we'll be able to pay people. But when we have like when all of our money is basically going to like into inventory and into marketing, um, it makes it, you know, incredibly difficult to afford salaries, especially like sustained salaries because people are like a, a big re reoccurring cost. And when you're not selling a product, you, it's not like you have incoming revenue monthly. Right. So, um, no. my communication with them and our agreement is basically like we raise or we start selling product, everyone will get paid. Um, until then people are basically just like passionate about what we're doing. 
Um, I say this all hoping that like government isn't listening to this podcast so we get like sued. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, at this time, I do own 100% of the company. My like also agreement with like employees, like the people working for me is like until you're working full time, um, then, you know, I can't really give you equity because, you know, it's kind of a difficult situation and having to even go through the process of giving equity. I mean, we're an LLC right now. We have to switch to being a C Corp. So I think it's so hard being gotcha. so young, like getting a lot of these legal things in place. Um, and that once we're able to raise and kind of start selling our product that um, a lot of it will become a lot more feasible. So that's the way we're approaching. And I know each startup takes it a little bit differently. Yeah, no, thank you so much for going into that. I think it's really helpful for potential founders or listeners to kind of understand how other young founders and not just young founders, but founders in general sort of organize mm-hmm. their company and set up this financial element. And so one of my questions for mm-hmm. you is that, you know, obviously this requires the ability to talk about money and to talk about these things that a lot of us don't really like talking about. Did you find that there was some resistance to these conversations or do you feel like you were also pretty confident with this and you were like, okay, this needs to be done. Let's do it. Just to clarify, are you referring to like discussions with team members or like in general? Yeah, I guess the team members, you know, these conversations about equity and then, you know, eventually you're going to have to go and raise capital and have conversations about Mm -hmm. what you'll be doing with the money and how much money you need. Is this a difficult Mm -hmm. thing for you or is it, you know, relatively simple because you have this sort of inherent confidence that helps propel that? Mm -hmm. So the way I've approached it with everyone on the team is like when you're hired, um, you get an offer letter, which basically is like, you're volunteering your time. Thanks for doing that. Um, so it's never, it's not really like an ongoing conversation because it's just been set out up front. That being said, the closer we've gotten to raising the, you know, honest, I've been honest that like my intention and my hope is that if we're able to raise the amount that I hope to raise, that I, my full intention is to like be paying people. Um, and I think they know that. Um, and so it's not really awkward and and because it's just kind of like the way that we've set it out out like up front I will say I think doing the iPhone women crowdfunding campaign taught me a lot about the way that I talk about money and the way that I think women in general um, maybe even female founders in particular talk about money and I struggled a lot with that because I felt like I was just asking people for money and they were just like giving me their money and it was kind of weird and when I learned how to reframe it as like together we're working towards this thing in partnership and you believe in the company and you believe in my ability to execute and build this company. And that's why you're giving me your money. It's not like I'm pocketing it. Right. It's like, it's all going towards the company and and we're doing that together. Then that really helped me in terms of asking people for money. And you know, you might've experienced the same thing. And so I think when you view it as a partnership rather than like an exchange of goods or an exchange of services, that it becomes more of a, um, like fair conversation from both sides, right? It's not like I, yes, I want to be paying my team members. I hate that I'm not paying them. They know that it's, it's not like neither side, I think is like resenting each other. But I think when we view it as like a partnership, like together, we're trying to get to launch together. We're trying to raise money so that we all get to benefit from that. Then it's like, we're all in it together rather than like, it's all resting on my shoulders and I need to like sustain the livelihood of these, you know, four women as it is three of them are still in college so it's not like they need you know a full-time salary right now anyway so um it's it's been some of it has been easier than others but i think as far as conversations with the team just being blunt and upfront has saved me a lot of trouble along the way yeah absolutely 
And so in terms of your guys' launch, I saw on your website that you guys are pre-launch. When, you know, what's mm-hmm. the plan? When are you guys going to be able to kind of get the products out and ready to go? I love that you're asking because I finally have like actual dates around this. I For uh, so long, yay. I was like, I don't know, like COVID has been the worst. We've had so many manufacturing delays, but here's what I'll say. Literally before, like the minute before I like logged onto this podcast, the very first suit arrived at my door. Um, like our first sample suit. Thank you. It's very exciting. So we have a photo shoot tomorrow. So pictures will be up um, very soon. So that being said, um, we, our official, official launch is January 9th. The week leading up to January 9th, we have a lot of events um, to engage our community and and get new people interested. Um, So that's happening. And so you can basically pre-order your suit up till that point on January 9th orders will orders that are not pre-orders will begin shipping out fingers crossed pre-orders will be shipping out like the week before then so if you order your suit now you'll get it early <clears throat> we're also <laughs> only producing a, 180 suits so and i can tell you like a third of those are already sold so um if anybody listens and, and you don't want the suit honestly i don't i'm fingers crossed right that we're not actually going to have them for that long um but <laughs> january 9th is our like official launch date wow congratulations just around the corner Yes. Uh, it's been, so, I mean, you heard me say May 2019, I started. So it's yeah. been an absolute labor of love. It's honestly a little bit surreal at this point. Yeah, no kidding. And, and in terms of kind of the patience to get here, did you feel mm-hmm. that that was really difficult? I know for me, it was always just, you know, just waiting for the product to get done and then COVID coming mm-hmm. in and impacting that and making things even more delayed. It's, you know, really frustrating. How did you kind of manage that? Mm-hmm. I found that being a founder is like constantly creating a plan and setting expectations for where you're going to be at a certain point, and then realizing that it will absolutely never work out that way. And really kind of manage disappointment around that, even though you were the one who set the expectation, like it's still frustrating, right? When something's not mm-hmm. ready, and you're like, well, I did everything I could to get here. Like, why isn't it happening? And sometimes it's a global pandemic. And sometimes it's a partner that, you know, isn't like, working in the way that you need them to. And, and I think there's a lot of different factors at play, but yeah, I've definitely had to develop, had to develop a lot of patience as a founder. And I think I still have to, I, I'm learning how to develop patience every day, whether it's um, with the team, when, you know, there's a lot of external factors working with like other human beings, right? So whether it's working with the team, whether it's handling manufacturing issues or other, whatever, uh, it's every day is like a, a new lesson in learning how to be patient for something and and realizing that like all I can do is control everything that you know I can directly touch and I can work on that as hard as I can and I can try to facilitate everyone else's work um but you know ultimately I can't do everything otherwise I wouldn't have a team and I wouldn't work with other people right I just hand sew 180 suits myself so there's there's stuff outside my control and and learning how to be okay with that and learning how to delegate and I think they're all like very much tied together and I think some founders myself included um have this sense where it's like well if I just did it all myself it would be a lot easier and maybe that's the case like right you get done well the first time the exact way you wanted it because you would have done it yourself but that then prevents you from going and doing like three other things so that's why we work with other people and and learning how to be patient with them is just part of the journey yeah I also found that you know there's some things that I thought I could do amazingly well and then realize that you know I just mm. do not have the skills to do this, so at some point you kind of have yeah. to take on other people to join you because your skills round each other out right mm-hmm. and so exactly in this transition from being a college student and running the business to running it full time, 
you know, what, what surprised you the most about being a full-time founder? I think something I always knew was that if I didn't work on the company, then it just wouldn't move forward. I think that's like what being a founder yeah. is, right? I, I think realizing though, that just because that's the case doesn't mean I have to work 24 seven, right? There's 168 hours in a week. I don't have to be working for every single one of them. And yeah. it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to realize because I don't think that like founder culture is set up in that way. I think there's no. this expectation that you're working, um, like 80 hours, a hundred hours a week that you're working on the weekends, that you don't have time to see friends, that, um, you're making all of these sacrifices in your life. And, you know, if I worked a hundred and whatever hours a week, maybe we'd be further along, but I'm really happy with the progress that we've made right now. And I probably work like. 50 to 60 hours a week. Um, and I try not to work on weekends. Sometimes we have like hold that community stuff on the weekends, but um, like on Sundays, but mostly I don't work on Saturdays. I try to reserve that time for family and friends. And I try not to work too much on Sundays. And um, I do work like into the evenings a lot because I go to events or, or we host events, but I, I've learned how to create like space and I think that doing that has allowed me to be a better founder because the time that I am working, I'm working hard and I'm getting stuff done and I'm checking things off my to-do list and it's like productive time because I'm not exhausted because I was working the entire weekend. Like I get to start Monday and be excited about what the week holds. And then I get to ha hit Friday and be like, I'm so excited to sleep in tomorrow, right? And I think there's a world where you can have both because that's the one I'm living in. But I know a lot of founders that don't subscribe to that. They're like, well, I just work all the time because I'm a founder and I have to get my company off the ground. I just don't think that's how you like start a company that you're planning on running for the next like 20 years, right? Like I want to be with my company until it makes sense, you know, to exit or to do whatever's next. Um, and so I need to like set myself up in a way now in like year two or whatever that allows me to be there in 20 years because I don't think that I can, I, I can't like be burnt out from doing this. No. Um, you know, in, in year two, I'm not going to even make it to year three. So that's what I think has surprised me. And I've had to like learn um, as I've transitioned into doing this full time. And I'm so glad you said that because it's one of the major myths that I feel like we're helping to debunk on this podcast mm -hmm. is just this mentality. And I know, like you said, startup culture is so much about the hustle and working as much as you possibly can. And just 100% of the time you need to be working and it's just completely false. And I think you're absolutely right in terms of sustainability and making sure that what you're doing, you can do for the long haul. Because like you said, you know, for me, if I worked that hard, I'm pretty sure I would burn out in like a week. And so you have to make time mm -hmm. for yourself and for community and for friends and family and yourself. So, you know, with that said, this sounds like one of the key strategies that you've been able to kind of utilize and harness to manage the stress of being a founder. Do you have any other advice for other future founders or people who are interested in entrepreneurship in terms of what it takes to be able to manage the associated stress? Mm -hmm. My like single greatest thing that I try to hammer home for people who want to start companies is the importance of knowing other people who are also starting companies like other founders. Um, I think you have to have like your own meter for like what's reasonable, right? If all those people are like, I work a thousand hours a week um, and you don't want to make that decision for yourself, fine. But I think there's also a lot of things that people who are starting companies um, know and experience that people who have never started a company just do not understand, especially being so young. You know, I have people who are like, oh, how do I, 
impress my manager for the first time? How do I have a good one-on-one? And I'm like, how do I run a good one-on-one, right? Like, how do I maintain my relationship with this person that's working for me? You're just on a different side of the table at this point. And so you need to talk to other people who understand that because otherwise you'll just kind of go crazy. I think people also say that being a CEO is like basically the single loneliest job that you can have, which I think is basically 100% true. Um, because there are so few people who understand what you're going through and experiencing. And I think especially being one year out of college, which people, which people already say is like the hardest year, um, post-grad doing that on top of being a founder on top of being a pandemic. Like if you're not connecting with other people who understand what you're going through, you're just going to like die of loneliness. So, um, I think finding other founders is, um, incredibly important. And, and yeah, not, not to be understated. You like need other people who understand what you're going through. Um, Also just like they know smart things and you can like learn from them because they've probably done the things you're trying to do as well. So it's worth investing in is making those founder friendships. Yeah, no kidding. And Sarah, you've shared so much good advice just about your journey and for anyone else who's interested in entrepreneurship. One last question for you, and I know you've already talked a little bit about Mm -hmm. this, but is there one, you know, critical, important thing that you really learned from your journey that's enabled you to be where you're at now? I think kind of touching back on some of the things I've said is that you're not going to be able to get where you are trying to go if you do it by yourself. I did, I ran hold that by myself for basically two years. And it wasn't until honestly last fall, like a year ago that I had a mentor who was like, you need to build a team. Like, what are you doing? Like, how, how do you expect to grow this huge company? If you, and launch a clothing line, if you don't have anybody on your team with you. And I I think I definitely felt like held back. I was like, who's going to want to build this idea with me? Like, it's my baby. Like, like no one else has birthed this company with me. It's like, why the heck would they dedicate their time to building something they didn't start? But I've had tons of, um, uh, and I continue to have amazing teammates now, and it's teammates and it's partners and it's mentors who have been through the same thing that you're going through. And it's honestly just so worth it to ask for help and to put yourself out there and send that cold message on LinkedIn or um, send that email or ask for that intro because um, it, it takes many hands and, you know, it takes a village, right? They say it takes a village to raise a child and people often compare your company to being a baby. So ask for help. I trust me, it's definitely worth it. Such good advice, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know that all of our listeners have gotten so much valuable insights from you and hearing just about you and your journey and your experience with Holdet. So good luck to you. I'm so excited to see you launch and to see where you're able to take this company see your baby grow. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. And um, I always say, you know, anybody that, you know, hears um, about Whole Dead and and about my story and wants to reach out, please don't hesitate to, you know, I, I, it's so funny. People have this perception that entrepreneurs are so busy all the time, but we set our own schedule. (laughs) So um, if we're busy, it's because we filled our own calendar. So um, entrepreneurs really aren't that busy. So definitely don't hesitate to to reach out. and, And thank you so, so much for having me. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah Greisdorf. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was great having you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode of Feisty Founders. I hope you learned just as much from Sarah and her journey as I did. And if you're a young, aspiring founder, keep in mind what Sarah calls the Phineas and Ferb effect, and don't let your age get in your way. 
To learn more about Holdet, make sure to follow them at Holdet on Instagram and check out their website at holdet.com. While you're at it, make sure to check us out at Feisty Founders and give this episode a like, subscribe to our channel, and leave us a review if you enjoyed our show so far. It helps us more than you know, and we would love to hear from you.